0: Thanks for listening to the High Street Young Adults Podcast. For more information and how to get connected, check out highstreet.org slash adults What's up, guys? Man, we're outside. Uh, you gotta love it when your breaker goes out. Uh, and we lost all power in the auditorium, so here we are. Uh, we're lucky, though. How awesome tonight is outside! I'm excited to be here. I almost wanted to use the grill over here as like my pulpit. You know what I'm saying? Just open it up. That'd be fire, right? You know what I mean? The fireman, hey, come on, come on. We're outside. We got it going tonight. It's gonna be good. I can't figure it out. I'm short, man. That's tough. Glad you guys are here with us as we continue. There's no graphic up, so y'all will be like, what What are we even talking about tonight? We are in our How to Date series. We're going to continue it, and we're going to finish it tonight. It's going to be a good night. So, Jared killed it last week. Uh, If y'all aren't following us uh, online, like Instagram, uh, YouTube, subscribe to us. I don't know if y'all have YouTube accounts. Um, I definitely do. Got to stay up to date with all the latest trends. So, uh, you can follow us online, and you can catch every message that we have on the podcast, anywhere you have a podcast. So, Jared spoke last week, how to date. Um, He killed it, y'all, and uh, he's married, so he knows what he's talking about, right? And uh, really, what he told us was that relationships really are, um, it doesn't matter if it's a romantic relationship, it doesn't matter if it's a a relationship with a friend or a family member, that the key is, is a relationship with Jesus, that that changes everything for our relationships. And honestly, as we sat down to talk about what are we going to cover in this series, we could give you a list of do this while you're dating, do this, whatever, but really what we need to talk about and we need to open up God's Word, and we need to say, what, what does like God have to say about all of this stuff? Like, How are we supposed to interact with people? And so that's exactly uh, what we're going to do tonight, is we're going to open up God's Word, and we're going to see uh, kind of a trait that Jesus shows us, that if it's present in relationships, it's going to be Powerful, And so I'm excited, man. I'm excited uh, to be here with y'all tonight doing this thing outside. So uh, we're going to get after it. And what's crazy is relationships are a big deal, right? Um, There's a reason why whenever someone enters into a relationship on Facebook, like it gets a lot of likes. You know what I'm saying? Uh, There's a reason because people care about relationships. Like y'all be rooting for, some of y'all be low-key mad that you're not in a relationship. I, I guess I'll like that even though, you know, I feel like I should be. You're laughing because somebody out there has been like, you kind of salty liked it, right? You know what I mean? But you liked it. So we care about relationships, and that's understandable. Like, it's important to us. And uh, this is stuff that people study, you know? Um, we're, We're not like the only people that have questions about relationships and how to make them work. How do we make relationships work? People look at this all the time and so uh, there was actually a group of researchers from UCLA and what they did is they looked at 40 years of relational research on uh, basically couples therapy right? Sounds like fun. Couples. I mean, that sounds like a boring research paper to me. I'm just going to tell y'all. But they looked at 40 years of research on what types of therapy, what strategies and approaches in therapy work to help couples have reconciliation. Because couples therapy does work. Like that's something that people do because it works. And they looked at what are the approaches that people take? Uh, what are the approaches that therapists take that help relationships? And one of the first things they found was this, that when, uh, when a therapist works to allow like, the couple to see things, to see the relationship in a more objective manner, if they can get the couple to change their perspective on the relationship, that that is one of the best strategies that they can take in helping a couple to succeed. Is that when they allow them to change their perspective, to view the relationship in a more objective manner? And I bring that up to say this, because really oftentimes what you find is that when things in the secular world work, is it because they echo what the gospel preaches. And so uh, because of that, what we're talking about tonight is really something that will help you to change the perspective, not just in your romantic relationships, but in your relationships with your family and your parents and your friends, everybody across the board. And so we're going to open up God's word. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 20 and we're going to be in verse 20. I'll give you all a second if you want to follow along with me. We ain't got no screens out here tonight. So Uh, we're in Matthew chapter 20. Uh, We're going to be in verse 20. And this is what, uh, let let me give you a little bit of context here before we dive into this passage. What's going on is in Matthew chapter 20, like Jesus is nearing the end of his public ministry. That he is, uh, things are starting to wind down. And what he has actually done is he has told his disciples, the guys that are following him closely, right? Like young men, right? A lot of this probably the same age as a lot of us in here. Uh, these young men who are following Jesus, he kind of lets them in and tells them, Hey, um, you know, I am going to go and I'm gonna be crucified. He's telling of his own death. I have to go to Jerusalem and I'm gonna be crucified. And the disciples kind of miss it. You know, they kind of miss it. But this is the scene that's going on that Jesus has done some incredible things. At this point, Jesus has performed many different miracles, right? He's already fed the five thousand. He's a big deal. People are following him. The religious leaders at that time who he was really threatening their power, uh, they're starting to turn against him. And Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be crucified. And this is kind of the setting that's going on here when we pick up on a weird request from a mom in verse 20. Y'all got a crazy Anybody got a crazy mom? Anybody? Y'all, boy, if you messed with me when you were a kid, my mom, she'd lose it, right? I remember one time my brother lost a magnet in a shoe carnival, and they wouldn't give him another magnet. Boy, it's not a good day for that. All right, I'm just telling y'all. Some of y'all know my mom, and you're laughing, but she gets a little bit crazy, okay? But I don't think my mom is as crazy uh, as maybe James and John's mom here in this story. So she's got a weird request for Jesus, okay? And this is what it says in verse 20. It says, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, who were James and John, came up to him, came up to Jesus with her sons. Right. So can you imagine it's like these are these are like adult, like coming into adulthood males and they're with their mom coming up to Jesus. And uh, and he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say, these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in the kingdom. And Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. And he says to James and John, are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, we are able. And he said to them, you will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, when the other disciples heard it, they were indignant at the two Brothers, So let's just backtrack for a second. Jesus, like imagine that you had a friend and they're saying, hey, I got to go to this place right now because I'm going to go and I'm going to be crucified. Like you would think that you would put the focus on them. But what we see revealed here, I honestly think that James and John's mom probably had good intentions. I think that James and John probably had good intentions and going to Jesus and say, we want to be at the right and the left hand of your kingdom. Like we want to sit there. But look at where their focus was. That in this time of where Jesus has said, hey, my earthly ministry is coming to an end and I'm gonna go and be crucified. They're asking about their own place. They are concerned with their own placement. And we look at that and be like, that's stupid. Like I would be way more concerned with Jesus, but man, I'm that selfish. I get focused on myself and my own needs. And I start thinking about how can I elevate myself and pride kicks in. And I think this is a moment of just showing uh, really just the flawed thinking that sometimes we have few hu- as human beings. How often we want to shift the focus to being on ourselves. And Jesus tells him, hey, are you going to be able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Are you going to be able to take the suffering that I am about to endure, James and John? And they say yes. And Jesus says, yeah, you will. That we know that James was persecuted and killed for his faith. After Jesus is gone and that John was exiled, right, to an island for the rest of his life. So one was martyred and one lived as a martyr and they drank that cup. But we see here even too that the other disciples, they're upset. Okay, because, you know, they, this is this is a conversation that really the disciples have already been having with Jesus. Earlier uh, in the book of Matthew, Jesus tells them, hey, unless you're like a child, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And yet here we are again having the disciples. James and John were on, in Jesus' inner circle. They were in Jesus' inner circle, Peter, James, and John. James and John were in the inner circle with Peter and probably walked closer with Jesus than anybody else ever has with the Son of God. And yet in this moment where they know there's something special about Jesus, they're concerned about themselves. And it shows a little bit of a flaw with us, but Jesus addresses this. And while the disciples were indignant, I think Jesus responds with ultimate grace pick oh, picking up here in uh, verse 25, it says, Jesus called them to him. He calls his disciples in huddle up, guys. Come on, huddle up. And he says to them, uh, you know, that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's pretty crazy that in the midst of this prideful act, Jesus comes back to them and says, hold hold, hold up, hold up. I didn't come to be served, but to serve many. I didn't come to be served, but to serve many. I didn't come to lord it over you and to rule over you, but I came to serve you. And he flips the whole idea of leadership around. He flips the whole idea of authority and power upside down. And he says, actually, if you want to be great, you're going to be a servant and not a false kind of servant, not doing it to elevate yourself, but doing it out of a true heart of compassion. This is what Jesus says right here, that this principle that we should live by, is one that we should apply to our relationships. Why? Because when we are focused on serving other people, it changes the way we view our relationships. It changes the way that we view our relationships. When we see things in a more objective manner, when we're focused on another person, it then takes the focus off of ourselves and we're better able to communicate with that person, we're better able to get along with them. Jesus says this because he knows, like, if Jesus is the son of God, God created us, right? If we're created, then he knows what he's talking about. And so, this is the main point tonight, okay? If you missed it, if you missed it, the main point is this, is that if you want great relationships, service is the key. If you want to have great relationships, service is the key. Now, let's specifically apply that to the marriage context, and I'm going to do that by telling you all a little bit about my story. Uh, my wife, Emma, is here in the back. Uh, my daughter is with her, Nova. Um, it's been awesome. We've been married for four years, and it, it's been phenomenal. And the, it's great to, to be parents now and to like, get my, watch my wife be a mom. But let me just tell you all, I don't want you to go through the relational pain that we went through when we first got married. And I hate to stand up here and say this, but it's the honest truth, is that the reason why our marriage was not good in the first year to year and a half is because of me. I was trying to lead in every other direction, in every other area, but I was not leading my wife well. And because of that, I made many mistakes. Some of the worst sin in my life was because of that. Because I wasn't prepared to serve my wife. And really when I was serving her, that would have been me leading her. And so here's the thing: when when you get into a relationship, let me explain why this got difficult. I love my wife. Like when you you know when you first meet somebody, like it, it's awesome. Okay, Um, you know, you just like I don't stay up late anymore. Like I go to bed at 930, but we would hang out like midnight. You know what I'm saying? And some of you, that's like a normal night for me. That's three hours past my bedtime. But when you're in love, you know what I'm saying? And it's good at the beginning. And you're just like, uh, it's a good feeling. Right. To be in love. Everyone wants that. But that fades away quick. Right. The honeymoon stage ends fast. That's what everybody says. And it's not wrong. It's not wrong. And honestly, Em and I made mistakes in um, just the way we approached our engagement and the way that we approach, uh, approach just dating and being together. That it was easy during that time. And because we focused on some of the wrong things, we were unable to focus on how we should pursue God together. And let me put it to you this way. Um, when I got married, though, I, I did see my wife one day. She had this contraption. Um, and I broke a door off of it this morning. I was gonna bring it, but uh, I broke it when I was on the way. So I don't have it with me. Um, I might have to buy a new one for my wife. But uh, it's like a makeup—it's like a makeup mirror. I don't know what the proper term is here, but it like folds open and these lights come on. You know what I'm saying? And then it's got. Like a mirror here, and a mirror here, and a mirror here, and lights. And it's super close up. And I remember seeing my wife, like, she was doing makeup, like, and and she looks way better without makeup on, let me tell you. So, you back there, Emma? Did you hear that? Okay, come on. You heard it. She was like, don't say that. But I told her I had to. So, I see this thing, and um, it's like close up. Like I looked in this thing, I'm like, I got, a, I got a mole there. I didn't even know that was, dang. And you start seeing stuff you had never seen before. Oh man, I got a, I got a unibrow, I gotta shake that off. My eyebrows don't look right. And so you start getting this close. Y'all are laughing, but and man, I'm telling you, I did not know that I had like a little mark right here and I was upset about it. But, uh, and you see this close up thing and it honestly, it, it like changes your perspective. Cause like you're seeing everything. There's no hiding, right? You don't got no Snapchat filters on there. Like it's right there. You see everything. And this is what happens when we get in relationships. That the closer that you get to somebody, the the more you see of them. You see like that close up view. You see this makeup, whatever it's called, view of them. And so what I was focused on was my perspective was off and I was only seeing Emma in this close up view and I was only seeing the things that she was doing wrong. I was not focused on serving her. I was focused on like us accomplishing stuff together, but I was not focused on serving her. Instead, I was focused on trying to make her better. I wasn't leading. I was just pointing out flaws and it honestly came to a point where verbally, I would just tear my wife down. And to have the person that you, you love like look at you and be in tears, because you just like said really mean things about them, that's tough. And to be honest with y'all, this wasn't a one-time thing, that this was a, becoming a cyclical thing that I was struggling in, where I just it wasn't going well for me. Because I was so focused on like the close-up view of her, I was focused on everything that she was doing wrong, but I wasn't focused on serving her. I wasn't focused, I didn't have an attitude like that that Jesus talks about. I wasn't focused on being a servant leader to her. And because of that, the first year to year and a half of our marriage was not what it could have been because I was failing as a husband. And that was painful. And let me tell you, let me tell you this. I didn't like it. I knew that things weren't okay. All right, I, I, I wanted to be better. I don't think any husband out there like looks in the mirror is like, man, I want to be a terrible husband today. But that's what I, so like, oh. who was that man? Props to whoever that was, that was, come on boy. Uh, now, let me tell you, I didn't look in the mirror. And there was a lot of times where I would just be like on my knees and I remember a time before we had our daughter too, That this was more recent, but just not upset that I wasn't the man that I wanted to be, that I wasn't leading the way that I wanted to lead and being on the ground and just hitting the ground and being tears and upset at God. Like, why won't you change me? Why won't you change me? I don't want to be this person. And what I learned over time is that I was not being a servant that just focusing on the flaws and the things like that—that's not going to make anything better. But when I serve and when I lead by example, that—that's when our relationship was great. You can find something wrong with anyone. You know that, like you can look at whoever you work with, you go to school with. You can pick something out that you don't like about them. A promise, all right. I can pick stuff I don't don't like about myself. I guarantee I can pick something I don't like about you. You know, so that's a deal. That's the truth. You guys know that. We can find things that we don't like about everybody. But when we're more focused on serving that person and loving them through it, that's when we have an attitude like Jesus. Jesus flips everything upside down. He says, hey, to be great, you must be a servant. When the disciples are showing this, attitude and this emotion that they want to elevate themselves. Jesus says, no, 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 no. You need to be focused on elevating other people. If you or when you're married will focus on elevating your spouse and will focus on building up your spouse and serving your spouse. That is when your marriage is going to be the absolute best. I promise you, hands down. That Jesus, what he's telling here is something that changes our objective and changes our focus. It really does. All right, let's, uh, let's talk about sex for a second, okay? Um, transition. All right, we're going to talk about sex for a second. There's no way to transition to it. You just got to do it. So um, we're, we're talking about sex, and let me just throw this out here. That sex is better when you are focused on serving the other person. When you're focused on serving your spouse, your sex life will be better. And you know how I can say that for a fact, because look what our culture says to do. Our culture says sex is all about you. Sexuality is all about you. Whatever makes you happy, whatever makes you feel good, whatever fills you up, that's how you should approach sex. And what God says is, no, this sex is designed between a man and a woman in a marriage context and this act of worship. And when you're focused on serving your spouse, that it's going to be amazing and pleasurable and good. And we can talk about it. And it's a great thing. And you should do it a lot. But, here's the thing. Our society has a warped view on how we should approach sex. Do you know why pornography is such a painful, ripping families apart, killing the souls of men and women alike? Did you know that 90% of men are probably looking at pornography and as many to, 30% to 40% of women are looking at pornography? And the reason that that's so dangerous, because it's 100% serving yourself. What God designed to be between a man and a woman in the context of a marriage, we've taken and we're serving ourselves with it. And that's why Satan loves it. And he loves us to be stuck in it and caught in it. And why it's so difficult to get out because it's such a self-serving act. We've taken what God designed to be amazing and good and great, and we've turned it to serving ourselves instead of serving someone else. It does, I mean, you can apply that to any stage of a relationship. You can apply that to people who are dating, to people who are, are just hooking up, whatever. That you see the flaws in it. That you're just serving yourself. When God designed it to be serving one another and honoring Him and worship and pleasurable and good. That that's why that's so dangerous. And I just want to tell you tonight, if that's you and you're struggling, you're not alone. 30 to 40% of women, 90% of men, I've been there right? I remember one time in college, I'm just going to be totally honest with you guys. I was in a really tough semester. Uh, I was in a physiology class. It was stressing me out that I was trying to study for all the time. And, uh, you know, I remember one time, this was like in the original days of Instagram, there's like nothing, no filter, like completely whatever. And I remember coming home and parking my car and for 30 or 40 minutes, just scrolling through and looking at all kinds of stuff that I shouldn't have been looking at. And what was I doing? I was serving myself and numbing my pain, and trying to get rid of this stress and anxiety, I can see that now, that I was self-medicating myself, instead of allowing God to come in and heal me the way that only He could, that I wasn't fo- I just completely missed the mark so if you're in here tonight and you're embarrassed and you're, um, you're like, I don't know what to do about that you've tried different things, we can help you, we can help you step one is you need to talk to myself you need to talk to Jared or any of our leaders here, and you've got to get that out there if, it's in your, if you're in a community, you know why we love community. You know why we want everyone to be in community, whether you're in a group here or some of you are involved in student ministries, you're in a group, because it's an opportunity for you to be transparent and to be open with people. If you want to be healed, this is a step you need to take. You need to get into community. You need to confess this. You need to talk about this because it will change things for you. It really will. And, and and that's not a side note. That's just seeing how see how it's a ripple effect. Like if we if we ever lose sight that we are to serve others, if we ever lose sight of that, it ruins all kinds of relationships, it ruins all kinds of things. Jesus knew what he was talking about. He knew it. I want to go back to the passage just as we finish up here. And uh, and we're going to go back to verse 28, man, because it, it just, why wouldn't we finish here when you look at it? Verse 28 says this, even as the son of man, and, and the band can come on up and uh, we'll, we'll do like one more song and uh, we'll, we'll kind of close this thing out. Um, but verse 28, it says this, right? It says, even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many to give his life as a ransom for many that Jesus came to give his life for you that he came to serve you that he didn't just come to serve this crowd and other people but you when you look in the mirror right, and when you see that up close view of you and you see everything wrong and all your flaws and all your mistakes and all your sins and all your failures that Jesus came to serve you And his final act of service was that he went through the most painful death, the most agonizing death in the history of the world. That he took upon himself all of our sin. After he had lived a perfect life, he took upon all of our sin on himself. He died a painfully, brutally, awful, horrific, physical death. But uh, the spiritual aspect of it. That the man who knew no sin took on sin on the cross in order to bridge the gap between us and God. That we could once again be united to him. That that was his final act of service. That that was his final act of service. That he would go and willfully march to the cross for us, for every single person that's out here tonight. That He came for you and that He came for me. And I was reading this morning, and it's in Matthew chapter 28, that uh, Jesus has been crucified and He's been put in this tomb and there's a a large stone rolled in front of it. And Mary and Mary Magdalene, okay, come down and they say, they're coming to see Jesus. And they find out that the tomb is empty. And an angel is sitting on the stone that has been rolled away. And he says, He is not here. He is risen. He is risen. Jesus, no doubt, in history, was a person. 100%, no doubt, he was a person. He was either a raving lunatic, or he was the Son of God. He was one or he was the other. And if he was the Son of God, right... That that's what many of us here believe, that He was the Son of God, then we should listen to what He has to say. For He overcame death, and He overcame the grave. And because of that, we can be free. That you can be free tonight. I don't know where you're at. I don't know who Jesus is to you. But Jesus is saying, hey, I came to serve every single one of you. When you look in the mirror... I came to serve you. When you're at your worst, I came to serve you. When in your relationships you're frustrated and you're on your knees and you're crying and there's pain and there's hurt, Jesus says, I came to serve you. Man, if you're a believer here tonight, that should inspire something. If Jesus was who he says he is, then we should commit our whole lives and all of our effort to that. I don't care if you're going into ministry. I don't care if you're in business or education or where you're at. That in our lives, that every aspect of it should be committed to Jesus and following who He is. It's so worth it. Man, if Jesus served me in that way, let me do everything in my power to give back to the kingdom of God. What if you started living like that in your 20s and your 30s? What would would your life like at 60, look at the legacy you would leave behind. An eternal legacy, an eternal impact, giving people hope, being a hope dealer in a hurting world, being the light in a dark place. What if as a community we continue to be about that? Amazing things will continue to happen as we continue to serve. And I'm so thankful to be at a church that serves the city of Springfield, that loves young adults, that serves children, that gives away shoes, that packs meals for kids that are hungry on the weekend, that love people, that counsel people that are hurting and that are broken. What an amazing thing that we can gather tonight as a community of people who can encourage one another. I don't know where you're at. If that I talk about all that and that sounds like, man, that's something I need, that's something that's missing in my life. Do you know how easy it is? Scripture says that everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. That everyone who says, Jesus, I want to make you Lord of my life. And that means to follow after you, to let you lead me, that he will save you. We all bow your heads with me.